Coming up on Plane Crazy Down Under. Air shows are always a great spectacle, but what does it take to coordinate all the action? We catch up with Chris Tibbetts, one of Australia's most experienced air bosses, on the eve of air shows down under Shell Harbour. You want to try and have something happening in front of the crowd at all times, and more and more air shows are sort of catering to you know, having something for everyone in the family. And Grant ventures north to Tokenwall for a sandwich, a soft drink or two, and a chat with local aviation identities Alan Arthur and Matt Henderson. On landing, you have to have the engine spooled up to at least 80% power to run the air over the flaps. If not, it'll stall. Tokemol's uh, one of the longest continually operating aerodromes in Australia at 102 years of continual flying activity here. During the war it was the largest air base in the Southern Hemisphere and the largest base ever operated by the Royal Australian Air Force in its 102 year history. Autumn means air show season and we can't wait as we get plain crazy. Well, hi everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm Steve Vischer. Joining me, of course, my good friend Grant McHeron. And mate, as we record this on, uh, strangely enough, the 29th of February, that means autumn's coming and that means it's air show season. Good news, good news. Oh, it sure is, mate. It sure is. And uh, the uh, formerly wings over at Lawara now um, air shows down under Shell Harbour is on actually this weekend as we're recording. So probably last weekend when you get to hear this. But yeah, well, you know, the <laughs> yeah, magic of radio. Uh, exactly. But uh, yeah, sadly, we can't be there. Um, I was going to go. Steve's working uh, and got family things. I was going to go. And then my car decided, no, you're going to take your entire travel budget and spend it on me. Well, perfectly reasonable. Grant, your car's a classic. Well, yeah, RX-7 and the, the Toyota. Yeah, well, the Toyota's rapidly on the way to becoming a classic. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, I have my motorcycle these days, and that seems to soak up a lot of my cash. It probably would be cheaper to go flying, or probably mm. not. Well, I don't know. It's tempting. Depending on, Let's just say that given what we've both spent on our respective holes in the ground that move, um, <laughs> yeah, could have been. <laughs> Well, Grant, um, obviously putting an air show together is no small endeavour and uh, if you've ever looked up in the what could be controlled, called a control tower or the commentary stand or whatever you'd like to call it, you'll see lots of people up there and it's not usually just people up there that's describing the air show, but uh, there's all sorts of people and you may actually notice a guy wearing a reflective vest that says Airboss and uh, we're going to uh, have a bit of a chat with just one such person today. That's right, mate. Tibbsy's a good friend. Uh, he and I have done a number of air shows together where he's been the air boss and I've been doing commentary. Somewhere we've been on a team of people, but he's still the boss. Others where it's just been him and I standing up there on a tower or him on his one scissor lift real high and me on a halfway up scissor lift because A, I don't like the wobbling that they do and B, I sometimes have guests I have to get on to talk with me. But uh, it's uh, it's been great working with Tibsy over many years and we were very fortunate to be able to get him for a chat. Absolutely. And uh, Tibsy's the nickname, but the uh, full name, of course, is Chris Tippett and he joins us on the line now. G'day, Tibsy. How are you? G'day, fellas. How are you both? We're good. Uh, well, congratulations on landing the gig again and uh, being an airboss, that's a, uh, for people who don't know, just give us a brief, uh, you know, um, high level overview of what it is you do because, you know, it's it's a pretty easy job, isn't it? Oh, yeah, super easy. It's uh, yeah, one of the easiest, least stressful jobs I've ever had, I think. Um, <laughs> a very a brief overview is <laughs> is um, the airboss is, is We got all day, it's okay. <laughs> Uh, Airbus <laughs> is basically responsible for everything that the, the crowd sees going on in front of them, really. So uh, from the moment the display starts, uh, my role is to 
keep something happening in front of the crowd um, as safely as and, and efficiently as possible. So uh, I'll cue different acts. Um, if I can see gaps coming up, I'll, I'll change the schedule on the fly if that's possible. Just yeah, make sure that uh, everyone walks away safe and, and everyone's had a fun day and the punters have enjoyed themselves. Because that's really the role, isn't it, of, of, of when you're doing something like that is, uh, yes, there's got to be times where there's nothing in the sky, but for those of us that are into aviation, I mean, we can probably live with that and we understand, but the whole point of an air show is to engage the general public and to, to keep the excitement level high, so that's the challenge for you. That's right, yeah, and especially you know, if people have, have paid their hard money to come see something, like you want to try and have something happening in front of the crowd at all times, um, and you sort of got to understand that not everybody is um, is – as aeroplane mad as we are and, and the listeners are. So um, more and more air shows are sort of catering to you know, having something for everyone in the family, whether it's freestyle motocross bikes, um, markets, uh, rides for the kids, that sort of thing. So, yeah, like us have geeks, we'd be like, oh, five aircraft doing aerobatics, one after the other, and a couple of military thrown in. Oh, that's a great air show. But, yeah, I suspect the uh, general public, by the time you've had your third small aircraft throwing itself around the sky, they probably want something different, don't they? Yeah, and, uh, and and part of my role uh, with Shell Harbour, um, not with every air show, but is um, is putting the program together and just trying to find that balance of um, you know the aerobatics and the smoke and, the, and you know, whether it's a formation team or a solo, uh, the warbirds and the military displays, and just um, just trying to keep what's the best way of putting it, just that that bit of variety there to keep everybody interested, so nobody gets bored of, of too much of the one thing. And there's a lot of planning, of course, that goes in. Obviously, this is not something that we sit down and scratch over a whiteboard a week before. There's a huge amount of planning that goes into this in the months leading up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I've been well, I've been working on this for the last couple of months, um, and also falling back to previous years at, at the at the same venue where it was, when it was known as Wings Over Illawarra under under Mark and Kerry with Bright Events. Um, so I was sort of drawn on a lot of local knowledge and um, and knowing the area and knowing. A lot of the operators, so the guys from Haas, Paul Bennett Air Shows, um, and Hundred Squadron, all the guys that um, that I've spent time with over the last how many years I've been doing this. Now, Tibsy, speaking of previous events and so on, I've been there um, when you and I have both been stressing about weather, and that's a big factor. I remember last wings over Illawarra, the famous rainy Sunday, and still managing to get the F thirty five and. Before it rained, there was so much going on in the background about that and wet runways in, in Newcastle that were shortened and all this kind of stuff. Yep. Two questions. One, how do you handle the variability of the weather and all that stuff? And the other one is, how do you deal with the stress, man? I don't worry about the stress until <laughs> the Monday, really. <laughs> um, but in terms of the variability, like it's, it's something that you've always got to have in the back of your mind. Um, you've got to be able to know looking at the forecast from weeks out, um, have a backup plan. Um, all the guys that we work with throughout Australia are all professional guys. So most of them will have a low, uh, a low plan for bad weather if we do have a lower cloud base. A lot of it comes down to if we are changing stuff relatively close is, is knowing the um, abilities of the aircraft and the pilots in terms of wet runways. Say, for example, you wouldn't put the Sabre out of, out of Illawarra with a, with a wet runway because you know, it's – a risk outweighs the reward. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. And and it really depends. Like um, I know we talk about Illawarra. We've had issues with weather in the past at different times of the year. They've had issues with wind and with rain. We've had other air shows with uh, fog and unseasonal weather everywhere. It's just it's just something like you can call in as many favours as as you want. But um, 
sometimes the weather doesn't play nice and, and it's something we really have to deal with and knowledge of the participants and the aircraft and the, the local area um, and, and also knowing when to call it a day and cut it and just say, look, it's it's not safe. Um, let's just walk around. Um, I know one event we went to, it was um, we had quite a lot of rain there and we actually opened the flight line for the um, punters so they could get up and around and really, really close to some of the World War II aircraft and um, it was really well received and, yeah, weather's out of your hands so you sort of got to, Make do with the best of them. And I think people understand that too, the general public. I mean, if it's pouring rain or it's, you know, really atrocious weather, um, you know, I'm sure most people would understand that. And that's a strategy that, that works well if you can at least let people get around aircraft and, you know, promote the game, promote what's a passion for us and hopefully hook a few more. That, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And we're we're very lucky that, that we get to be up close and, and, and around these machines quite a lot more often than the average person does. So, so to see the looks on people's faces when they're, they're walking right up, you know, to within two or three foot of a Spitfire that's parked next to a Fock Wolf and, you know, and a Kitty Hawk and Mustang. And it's, um, I think sometimes I sort of forget how lucky we are in, in terms of, of the stuff we surround ourselves with. I suppose too, like you mentioned too, like the, working with a lot of operators, one of the things about Australian aviation in our scene here is that it's not that big, which can be disappointing. But I suppose one of the advantages too is that the community is not that big. So, you know, the people that are, are regularly on the air show circuit, they understand the game and it's it's something that everyone understands the safety aspects of it and the planning aspects of it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. And and and, um, and knowing all the different performers, you've got to sort of know which ones, um, as, as you get to know them, yeah, might need that little bit of an emphasis on timing or or just a, a bit of a reminder that their act's coming up or yeah and, and then you've got then you've got other guys that, that do quite a lot of air shows that you know that you don't need to hassle them they're going to be on top of it and it just sort of takes the stress away when when you've got operators like that out there as well now let's take a bit of a step back you're not like somebody who's just enthused with the aircraft you actually fly and uh How'd you get into aviation? Because I've known that you've been a meat bomber, you're flying tailwheels, you've even got a, a glorious twin, if you're allowed to talk about that, that's yeah. in the hangar. And how'd you get into flying, mate? Um, I've always had a had an interest in flying from before before I can remember. Um, I don't know if it's, yeah, my grandfather was uh, a tail gunner in Lancaster's in World War II. So uh, there was always that, from growing up, there was that picture of uh, the Lancaster's uh, in the lounge room. So whether it was that or, or what, I've got no idea. But um, yeah, I went and got my uh, commercial license, started doing joy flights in Tiger Moths, um, uh, did my instructor's rating, um, was chief pilot of a skydive operation for quite a few years. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and sort of here I am. That, and, and that sort of led into the air shows. Um, a mate of mine, Paul, was uh, stepping up and starting to do more and more air shows. So I started ferrying aircraft around for him and uh, Looking after the radio, and, and however many, too many years later, here I am. <laughs> and so that little bit you just said, looking after the radio, yeah. So you you've done all that. Uh, we'll come back to the beach eighteen, but because uh, you, you just said we've done, and I, I think the first time I met you was when you picked me up in the Cessna one eighty five at Port Macquarie to go north. Or I think we'd met before then, but it was just, that was a classic. Just jump in and yeah, hang on. Uh, fortunately there was another front seat, so I wasn't like sitting in the back where the jumpers normally go, but get on the radios. Yeah. Get on the radios. So talk to me through that and how that has progressed from just helping out to now becoming, I believe we can say a certified air boss. To an extent. Yeah. Um, doing a lot of uh, smaller regional shows, um, initially we'd obviously needed somebody to, 
work the radios. Um, it was my job to listen to the CTAF, uh, be aware of any inbound aircraft. If any information had to be relayed to the guys that were displaying, I'd, I'd do that then sort of let the next guys know when to line up and it sort of progressed to the ringmaster role, uh, which is which is required as the, as the display coordinator, what we call in Australia the, the ringmaster, through to, um, yeah, it being a really defined role now, especially the, the size of shows. Like uh, in the last 15 years, there's been a lot more shows popping up all, all around Australia and I think um, a lot of that is, you know, is due to sort of uh, aero clubs um, putting their hand up and operators like, Minute air shows sort of going out there and saying, "Hey, we can we can do all the paperwork and do all the scary stuff for you and deal with CASA, and let's let's get something going for the community." I suppose overview by CASA is something that uh, we always talk about on this show, uh, regardless of what topic it is. But I yep. mean, you know, really, when it comes down to oversight of safety issues, you've really got to work in with them, don't you? There's a lot of consultation that goes backwards and forwards to get those approvals. Yeah, it is. It's um, it, it is it is quite detailed. Uh, luckily that. The majority of guys that, that do those um, do those exemptions and give us the approvals uh, do a lot of shows, so they do know they do see the same names coming up. And in terms of they they, they get to see who the performers are and what the safety aspects are and, and what the risk assessments are. And because there's a relatively limited number of operators in Australia doing it, I think that makes their job that little bit easier. Whereas if you look at somewhere like the states, there's over three hundred air shows throughout the year. I think it'd be that would be a lot harder, which is why they introduce things like a SACSA uh, statement of aerobatic competency and that sort of sort of thing. But um, but over here it's it's a relatively small, so everyone sort of knows each other, and I think that um, makes our job and CASA's job easier. So you just mentioned the US there; they have various certi- I'm calling it certification standards, but it's it's training and getting checked out before you're allowed to be an airboss. And it was something that came up in the International Council of Air Shows, ICAS. Um, and I've been hearing more and more people talk about, uh, yeah, you can't do a big air show unless you've got somebody who's been checked out and approved to be an airboss. Is, is that where Australia is going? Uh, there, there was a push for it a few years ago, I would say, off the top of my head, probably seven years ago, I don't know, COVID sort of messed up the timing of everything when you sort of think back <laughs> how long ago stuff was. There was a push for it um, and I believe that that sort of was was knocked back. I don't know I don't know the reasons for it. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there was in the past a push for it and um, I'd, li- I'd like to see something like that coming coming to fruition in Australia because it just it streamlines everything and makes everything a lot more consistent. So... Okay, we've got Shell Harbour coming up, but uh, last year you were up on the stand uh, airbossing um, along with Wayne Boggs, who was brought in from the US for the event. And my understanding is you you were like the air, you were the airboss for the Pacific Airshow Gold Coast, and you've also done some work at oh I don't know Miramar and uh, and Huntington Beach perchance. Uh yes, I did. So um, I was yeah. I, I was asked by the guys at Pacific Air Show. They um, they came out obviously prior to their show and, and looked at a lot of shows and um, approached me and asked if I'd be um, willing to airboss and be part of the team up there, which I, I sort of jumped at. Um, it was a, a great opportunity to see some stuff that you wouldn't normally see, but uh, they're sort of taking a different tack in terms of the way they're doing things. And um, from what I saw there, I think there are a lot of air people who have had their eyes open to the fact that, of what an air show is. Um, that would never have gone to an air show before. So however many people were there, there was uh, so many people just asking, oh, when's the next air show we can go to? 
it was yeah, it was it was really really good. Yeah, so I uh, I worked with uh, Wayne Boggs and Ray Shaw, who normally runs the tower at Miramar. He's a, he's an air boss as well from the states. Um, and I sort of explained the differences that we have over here compared to what they have. Um, and the three of us worked together over the weekend and um, sort of learned a lot from each other. And uh, I was then presented the opportunity to go over to the States and attend the ICAS Airboss Academy at Miramar Airshow. So I went over and did that and uh, Ray Shaw was actually airbossing that. So uh, it was run by ICAS, uh, Dan Hollowell, um, Tooch, and uh, there were people ranging from uh, people who wanted to be an airboss to people who were already certified just um, just doing their currency. So uh, we spent the weekends mainly in the classroom but also out on the flight line uh, looking at stuff, critiquing stuff. And then the following weekend, I was part of the Airboss team at at, uh, at Huntington Beach for Pacific Air Show there. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a busy couple of weeks. What sort of numbers did you have in that class? Was there a lot of people that are interested in doing that over there? Uh, there I mean, there's a lot of air shows over there, so. Yeah, uh, there was probably 12, 12 to 15 people in our class, Steve. So, And, and that ranged from um, there was one person who had never done it before that was just interested um, through to guys that do um, – some of the big shows across across North um, North America, and we've had that tragic uh, fighter versus bomber crash in the US. Has that raised the uh, has that raised awareness of the importance of getting all these checkouts and having air bosses who are current checked out, all that kind of stuff? It, look, it, it it was definitely uh, one of the topics of conversation over there. I'm not sure what the the final. Uh, findings were from, from that accident if they have been released there was a loss of separation it was definitely something that's been brought up um, between that and and other accidents that have unfortunately happened around the world but um, it, it was a topic of conversation and um, and ICAS does have a, a big push um, across North America and Canada in terms of um, making sure that people who are in that role are current and know what they're doing because at, at the end of the day um, you've got people's lives in your hands. So um, when you when you make stuff up on the fly or um, or change stuff that wasn't briefed, um, obviously you bring a lot more risks in than what there would have been prior. So we've talked about the US and how they have the the, the standards and the assessments and currencies and so on for air bosses, but you also said like a, quite a large number of air shows per year in the US. Uh, it's it's a much bigger market and all that. But are you able to talk about from what you've seen from ICAS attendance, which we'll talk about later, uh, Miramar and Huntington Beach and so on, and you work with the Americans, how different is their approach to doing air shows to what we get down here? So in, in terms of in in terms of our approach compared to theirs, I'd say there's quite a lot of similarities um, from what I've seen. So when they're dealing with the FAA and we're dealing with CASA, um, very, very similar um, in terms of our risk assessments is the same. The one thing that I've noticed is there's there's a bigger ex-military contingent of people. So uh, a lot of the guys who are air bosses or, or display pilots are ex-military. So that's probably the biggest difference. I know we we do have a few guys here that are ex-military, but um, it's 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 a it's a lot different over there in terms of that. But um, in terms of the approaching with the paperwork and, and organising the the programs and briefings and um, and all the all the boring stuff that goes on behind the scenes that most people don't know about it, it's um, quite a lot of similarities. So staying in the US, one last question about the US, and you mentioned it, you were in ICAS in Vegas, and we all know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, stays but in I've Vegas, been hearing yeah. stories about ICAS from various sources. 
how was it to actually go to that? It's it's like December. It's huge. It's it's pretty intense in terms of, of time wise. Um, so we actually got over there a, a day early and um, and sort of had a bit of a look around town before everyone started rolling in on Sunday. And uh, by the time you you get up um, in the morning, start doing seminars around table talks um then go to the auditorium for a couple of hours then more seminars and then back to the auditorium and then then you've got the networking in the evening it's um yeah so it, it's it's very it's a very busy um it's a very busy week but uh it's it's i mean like you know some guy from regional australia to go over there you know been lucky enough to be involved in this industry over here for 10 or 12 years and and then to be you know sitting at the bar with um uh, with some of the, the the biggest names in air shows in the world and just talking airplanes and shooting the shit and it was it was it was really good it, it was it was definitely worth the trip but uh it was yeah it was very 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 busy <laughs> and I like how you said networking yes well said uh, I think no, we know yeah, those ones yeah you're right but um but mate no it was it was unbelievable like the the, the stuff that goes on. Yeah, around the bar, yeah, where you're sitting there and 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 talking to people and yeah, and hearing deals being made and and uh, ideas getting thrown around and everything. It was um, yeah, it's it was, it was an eye opener. Pretty epic. Now, Tipsy, time's a little bit against us, but I can't let you go before we uh, we talk about the beach, the Beach 18. Now, a pretty unique aircraft in its own right, and there's not a lot of them around flying in the world these days. Even rarer to see one here in Australia. Can you tell us a bit about yours and how'd you come to own it? Ah. Uh, well, it was one of those um, I heard about it on the grapevine and uh, went up and had a look at it and silly me made an offer <laughs> and uh, then had to make the phone call to my wife saying I just bought an aeroplane. And uh, <laughs> so then- <laughs> And she didn't kill you? Not yet. Um, so then spent the next uh, <laughs> next few years restoring her. So where was it? Where was where where, where was it located? It was at, it was at Mwilumbar. Um, it was still, still in the US register. Uh, it was built for the Canadian Air Force. Uh, not a, it's a 1952 3TM Expeditor. Um, after a time with the Canadian Air Force, uh, she was bought by Hamilton Aircraft and they did all the mods, um, the cargo mods, so cargo doors, square wingtips, uh, two-piece windscreen, uh, stacked exhaust, walking gear, all the, all, all the bells and whistles. Uh, it was a freighter until it was confiscated for drug running in the early 80s. Um, yeah, wow. it was, it was sold, at, uh, sold at auction. It had been a private aircraft since, and uh, the previous owner flew it across, flew it across in, uh, I think, 98 or 99. And um, then it did uh, some movies and TV work in North Queensland, and, um, yeah, then I purchased her. And I have it on good authority that multiple people, not just you guys, but multiple people have done strip searches on that aircraft <laughs> looking for anything that may have been left over from its time when it was being used yeah, for Yeah, there was purposes. a bit of white powder. All to white powder, but it was just, um, just aluminium corrosion. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I learned to fly not far from Mena, Arkansas, so I've probably seen it before. Come yeah, it. yeah, well. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> there's, a ref- there's a movie reference for you. True story, though. Anyhow. <laughs> Well, tell us, uh, tell us about getting certified to fly it. I mean, how do you go about that? I mean, how do you find someone that can tick you off for that? Well, I was, I was lucky enough that a mate, everyone knows who Paul Bennett is. Um, yeah, I had, it's not type rated, the Beach 18. So as long as you've got tailwheel, retrack, and uh, constant speed, you're right. But um, it, it can be a bit of a handful for takeoff and landing. Um, you've got those two uh, 
two big engines and two props both both turning the same way. So you need a, a fair bit of rudder on takeoff, but luckily with a dual rudder, uh, once you get once you get that tail up, you, it's you get a fair bit of authority. But the problem is on landing, um, you've got that really deep cord on the wings, uh, forty degree of flap. So um, you've just got that little bit of a moment where that tail's dropping and the nose wants to swing, where you've got no rudder authority. So you just got to be aware of that. Um, but yeah, uh, I was I was lucky enough that. Um, I went up and did some circuits with um, with Paul and uh, just spent some time in it flying around with the family and just, yeah, just trying to get up in the air as, as often as I could afford to put fuel in the tanks. <laughs> and, and oil. oil yeah. And oil, yeah, <laughs> of course. And it, so, that I mean, that brings me to my next question, which will be around maintenance. How do you go for maintenance and getting spare parts for it? Um, you can't just buy a lot of the stuff off the shelf, but there are a couple of good suppliers. Once you, once you dig around, there are some uh, there are some good stockpiles of parts in the states. Um, two suppliers I've found over there, which are, are quite reliable and um, and really really good to work with. It's um it's just the freight getting the parts over here is the problem. So as long as you've got deep pockets, everything's possible. So. Well, Tibsy, yeah, as long as you've got deep pockets or a few lotto wins, I think when it comes to old <laughs> aircraft. But right, I really appreciate you taking your time. Uh, out of your busy schedule uh, you've come on and had a good chat mate really happy it's been great watching your uh, progression through from uh, you know regional air shows to the big ones and now overseas so if I if I said I wasn't jealous I'd be lying uh, but thank you for taking the time uh, Steve and I have really enjoyed having this chat with you so uh, thanks mate awesome uh, thank you very much fellas and I'm pretty sure I'll see you both on the circuit soon eh? Australian Defence Force, you'll only ever have the one job. But take a closer look at how it invests in your career and you'll find training for new roles as well as gain professional, tertiary and trade qualifications. Learn more at adfcareers.gov.au Imagine if you were very sick, feeling so bad you could hardly get out of bed. But you had to get up and drive 600 kilometres to hospital for treatment. You'd be eternally grateful for Angel Flight, whose pilots fly them there free of charge. So please, support the work of Angel Flight or get involved as a volunteer pilot or driver. Log on to angelflight.org.au and help bring relief to people who so desperately need some. Hi, I'm Dave Homewood from the Wings Over New Zealand show, New Zealand's own aviation podcast series where we feature the stories of Kiwi pilots, warbird restorers, Air Force veterans, home builders, historians, authors, modelers, stories from aviation museums and associations, air show reports, and much, much more. The Wings Over New Zealand show loves to bring you the stories of Kiwis who've made their mark on aviation. So find the Wings Over New Zealand show online. Find more about it on the world famous Wings Over New Zealand aviation forum and like us on Facebook. We also love to listen to Steve, Grant and the team at the Plane Crazy Down Under Show. Welcome back, folks. The second part of the show, uh, we have a couple of interviews that I recorded one day up at Tokemal uh, when I went for a flight in a Cirrus with Evan Shu, a friend of the show from way back. And Evan and I jumped in the Cirrus and flew up to Toke on an absolutely beautiful clear blue skies day. Uh, went up nice and early, uh, wheels up somewhere around, I think it was pretty close, well, nice and early, so well in advance of Steve's usual preferred uh, wheels up at midday. So nice to be there. Sorry, Steve, had to do it. Ouch. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, look, it was a great flight. We uh, clear in a million, but we went up under instrument conditions to uh, so everyone could practice and did an instrument departure out of Moorabbin and the Melbourne area and then practiced an ARPAS arrival at Tokemal. And we had just finished parking, shutting down, you know, tying it all down and all that when the main reason we went up super early arrived overhead. Alan Arthur flew in with his P-40 and I hadn't seen Al for years. So we went up a little early because Matt Henderson, who uh, he and his wife run the uh, the Drome Cafe and the Heritage Museum on the airport at Tokemal. And uh, so Matt let us know that if we got in early, we'd be able to see Al arrive and hang out. So we got in early. We hung out, we had brekkie, and I highly recommend it if you're flying past or driving past or, as Al did, making it a mission just to go there for brekkie, then do so. The Drome Cafe, a lot of the uh, locals at Toke come down there for brunch and for coffee and cakes, as you're going to hear, because I recorded a couple of interviews, one with Al about his flying and the P40 and how's it been since last time we caught up on the show, and one with Matt about a brief history of the aerodrome at Tokemore, which at the time, or in fact, I think historically, has been the RAAF's biggest base ever. And you'll hear more about that in my chat with him. Alan Arthur, it's been a really long time since uh, we last had a chat here on Playing Crazy Down Under. How have you been? Very well, Grant. Very well indeed. Excellent. Well, we're sitting outside the Drome Cafe here at Toke, uh, Tokemal, and uh, we've got the uh, native birds, like the magpies and all that around us, so we'll try and get a chat in around their best attempts. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Um, it's a lovely morning and uh, going to be a hot day, and uh, just jumped in the Kitty Hawk this morning to come down for breakfast, so um, nice to be here. Now, um, yeah, the Kitty Hawk, beautiful aircraft. Uh, you've had it for quite a while. Uh, you've you always told me that it was a beautiful gentleman's airplane to fly. So I, are you having a lot of fun with it still? Yeah, I'm still enjoying it. Still enjoying it. I'm not not flying it enough. And certainly this year I said it's got to be flying a bit more. Um, the more you leave them in the shed, the worse they get. So if you want to keep them nice and reliable, fly it a lot more often. And, and it's getting to the stage where I'm hoping to get the two boys into it, my two boys. Um, they're probably ready, but they just haven't done quite enough Harvard time. So I think that's the next step that maybe this year um, we'll get them. We'll get them both in the in the cockpit. But yeah, I, I I love flying the Kitty Hawk. Do you let many others fly it? I let. I always maintain the worst guy I'll ever fly it will be me. Um, but you know, other guys fly it. You know, Dougie flies it, and uh, Deethy and uh, um, Scotty and um, uh, various people. Yep. No, oh, excellent. And you've only got a single seat in that, haven't you? Yeah, one seat. Yeah. Yeah, no joy rides, it's just you having fun. There's no complication. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Now, um, we were just chatting inside and you're um, talking about some staggering information about a uh, beautiful 1930s aircraft. Do you want to chat about that? Yeah, we're trying to finish off a uh, stag wing over in uh, Wanaka. And um, we're, we're nearly there. It's um, Joe Drake's old planes, um, BBL, which has got a hell of a history. Uh, it's been here, there and everywhere. Very exciting about it. It's been a slow rebuild. Uh, it's going into its fourth year now over there. Um, we're hoping, we're hoping that we 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 think that it may be ready for uh, warbirds over Wanaka in Easter. But golly, we've got a long way to go. I'm, yeah. Yeah, it's only a couple of months to go. A couple of months. It's about six weeks, I yeah. think. So I I not positive that it's going to fly there. But we're we're very close. Would you be able to at least have it static on the line? Oh, it'll probably be static, yeah. 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 
how do you fly? Because have you had much time flying the stacker wings? No, no, no. I've flown um, Cam Hawley's, who's got one over there. Um, that was the small engine one. And I've flown another um, D-17 over in uh, Idaho. Um, you know, it's, it's a 985. They say they're quirky. I don't think it's going to be too complicated, touch wood. I think it'll be fine. I think it'll be a nice plane to fly. Um, it's just got a 985 up the front, you know. Yep. And uh, you, uh, if you're not flying it, in the back's not a bad place to be, is it? Oh, it's, it's beautiful inside. It's really coming along. You've got leather, and we, we won't get the timber over, done over there, but I'm hoping to line it out with walnut and um, just, just a lot of fun, yeah. And it almost sounds like you'd have to go to a yacht builder to get the interior done. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find somebody around Aubrey. There's some pretty good, you know, car timber guys around there. Yeah. Yeah, the good old car with the panel sides and interiors. Correct, yeah. correct, yeah. Um, anything else that you want to tell us about on the aviation front? Are you having any other adventures or experiences? Oh, there's plenty of adventures and there's plenty of stories, but we're, we've got a Sukhoi 29 in the shed now, and um, um, it's the best aeroplane I've got to share in because I've only got to share. So it's the cheapest thing that... <laughs> uh, I fly, fly it a tiny bit, got six or seven hours in it, and, and probably it just makes me sick. But... Um, but the kids love it, and um, Riley Deeth and Harry Arthur are sort of the flyers, and, and I saw Deethy off there this morning um, going for a jolly in it, and um, so it's a bit of fun. And then uh, we're uh, doing a static restoration of a Starfighter, a 104, and, and that's starting to look, look, look pretty spectacular. And then we've got um, the PC-9s, hopefully. We've got to have those flying this year. So we've got three of those. And uh, they're, they're, we've got one or even two ready to go now. Just a bit, bit of paperwork and a bit of mucking around and they'll be up in the air. So coming back to the PC-9s shortly, but the F-104 Starfighter, where are you getting the parts from that? It's, 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 a, it's a static. Mm. Um, it's all complete. Um, came from the States. And... Um, I don't know. I always wanted one. They're, mm. they're extremely beautiful. They're yeah. extremely pointy to have a look at. And, and it's just um, Kelly Johnson at his best. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why we've got it, but <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a polished one and it's just it's yeah. starting to look pretty special. Who hasn't enjoyed building a model or sketching and all that of, of a Starfighter? I mean, those razor-sharp leading and trailing edges on the, on the wings and tail and everything. Well, I always laughed at that, that they had to put... Uh, um, covers on the leading edges to stop the guys opening their head up and when I was doing the tail I walked into it and fortunately hit 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 it where my cap was on and otherwise I would, so from now on we have covers on it <laughs> yeah, they had boots for a reason <laughs> oh exactly yeah. but it's but it's a it's a great aeroplane oh, yeah. the wing is so small the wing is ridiculously small you'd wonder how does this thing fly well, we used to think that the F-4 Phantom was proof that a brick with enough power would fly, but clearly it's the F-104. Oh, exactly. And it built, like you talk, like a, a brick, mm. um, SH. Well, it, that's what it is. And um, uh, it's, uh, they're, they're so solid. Yeah, you can jump up, up and down on that wing. Um, it's amazing. Wow, you wouldn't yeah. think so, looking at the tiny wing and very thin and all that. Yeah, it's four, it's four inches. It's 100 mil thick at the base and tapers out to 50 mil. And then on the outside, it's got this great big drop tank, huge big drop tanks. And you think about those bumping around, um, yeah. it's phenomenal. And the other really cool thing too about it is, 
on, on landing, you have to have the engine spooled up to at least 80% power to, to run the air over the flaps to make them fly. If not, it'll stall. Yeah, it'll just fall out of the sky. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so circling back to the PC9s, uh, I've heard the stories from people saying, oh, they're probably thrashed to death and all that, but you are telling me that's not the case. Oh, look, I don't like that story. That That's sort of fighter jocks um, just got to got to say something we we've looked at the fatigue times uh we'll be flying them under 4g and uh that that the fatigue the way they work it out is 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 raf fatigue it's extremely um um what would you say um conservative Mm -hmm. um so we 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 don't have a problem and certainly the guys doing the test flying who who were test pilots in them were uh, um, instructing, yeah. they don't have a problem either. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think we've got that. We've got an issue. Fantastic. So is the intention to have them available for um, private joyride type of things? Oh, probably not. Yeah. Um, we, we might do, we might take people up in them. Um, I don't really do that stuff, but maybe maybe it comes. I'd, I haven't, haven't even thought of it like that. We'll sell two, two are for sale, uh, and we'll keep one. So more for displays at air shows, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Dougie, Dougie Hamilton's also got two, mm-hmm. so you know we might get get together with a two ship, and that would be uh, that would be quite good, I think. It'd be great to see some PC9s doing formation aerobatics once again. Yeah, perhaps. Never know. Yeah, who knows? Well, Alan Arthur, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'll let you get back to the P40 and fly home. It's been great to see you here, and uh, yeah, they talk about the hundred dollar hamburger. But I think, I think you blew through $100 just on that first barrel roll as you came over the field. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, we, we can afford to do this stuff. So, uh, um, and, and the coffee and the um, bacon and egg sandwich was very nice. So, yeah, if you've ever got an excuse to come to Toke, uh, come to the Drome Cafe on the airfield. Great place, great people. And the food was, yeah, I could attest, fantastic. I, I truly back that up. <laughs> Alan, thanks so much once again for coming on the show. No worries, Grant. Thank you. Matt Henderson, I think last time we were actually together was when you were flying me in the back of the Wirraway from Maitland to Scone. Uh, yeah, which seems like a long time ago now. Um, well, it was so last year. Yeah, it was last year. Uh, there's been a lot happened since then, I guess. Uh, yeah, so. we've had you on the show for with Dave Homewood and I on uh, Warbird's da- Warbird Radio Down Under. So that was a good chat where we talked about where we actually happen to be right now at Tokemall Airport at the museum and the cafe. So if you want to get details on all that, go there. But give us, for those who haven't had time to go and listen to that show yet, uh, let us know what's important about this aerodrome and the museum and the cafe, aside from the fact that you're running the ladder too. Um, yeah, so the, uh, I guess, you know, the highlight points... Um uh, Tokemol's uh, one of the longest continually operating aerodromes in Australia at 102 years uh, of continual flying activity here. Um, during the war it was the, the largest air base in the Southern Hemisphere uh, and the largest base ever operated by the Royal Australian Air Force in its 102 year history. Um, uh, so yeah, so it's got some, some very significant um, uh, history over time uh, and also you know very significant wartime history here so lots of liberators bow fighters mosquitoes and fighters i guess uh yeah pretty much so the um uh, in addition to uh, the flying units here number seven aircraft depot was based mm. here and they were the largest of all of the aircraft depots and they were uh, repairing maintaining modifying pretty much everything in the raf um, inventory at the time um so 
almost everything was flying in, getting maintained and, and having done stuff to it. Uh, in addition to that, yeah, we had number five operational training unit here with, um, they had bow fighters, Beauforts, Mosquitoes and Bostons at the time um, doing conversion and uh, operational conversion courses. And then... Um, when the uh, Air Force got the B-24s, um, Tokemore was selected as the base for the operational training unit for those. Uh, 58 of those were based here um, during the latter part of the war. Um, they also had a, a small flight of uh, Kitty Hawks, so eight or nine Kitty Hawks uh, were here at that time as well as part of a fight affiliation group uh, and about a dozen vengeances that were used for um, target towing um, mm-hmm. as part of the 7 operational training unit um, cadre. And then post-war, it basically became the, uh, the boneyard for the Air Force disposing of everything. So if, uh, um, pretty much from 1946 through to 1960 when the base closed, uh, it was a dumping ground for surplus military aircraft um, to get scrapped and destroyed, uh, which is all very sad. Yeah, and- and, and buried as we still seem to do these days. Yeah, nothing's changed really. It's um, yeah, we, we thought that'd stop with F-11s, but now it's helicopters. Oh, um, exactly. And and who knows what's going to happen with the Hornets that are still hanging around at William oh, Town. Don't um, make me cry. Yeah, I'm trying to get my hands on one of those. But so. oh, well, blame <laughs> him. I was just chatting to Alan Arthur before about his uh, PC9s. Yep. Yeah. yeah, which is pretty exciting. It's um, you know, it's good that you know a lot of those were saved, mm. um, and it'll be good to see them flying in mm. uh, in the air again under under civil operations. Um, you know, under the Warbirds banner. Um, and I think, you know, realistically, they're probably the, the last type um, that that we'll see, you know, civil, you know, in sort of any sort of scale. Um, you know, we're not going to be flying around in, in Hornets or F-35s or anything else like that in the future. Um, so I think, yeah, the PC-9, kind of like the, you know, the Parrot and the Windjill, mm. kind of the last iteration of trainers that are going to be viable, mm-hmm. you know, modern day warbird things to fly, yep. um, uh, which... You know, yeah, so it'll be good to see, you know, Al's first one flying uh, and then hopefully paved the way for a few others that are, that are sitting in hangars, you know, in the process of getting you know, airworthied. Which would be wonderful. And speaking of hangars, we're just outside a really big one that is now um, a museum with some aircraft on static, some displays and a cafe. Uh, yeah, so uh, our Turkmore Aviation Museum uh, attached to the Drama Cafe. Um, <clears throat> it was supposed to be the other way around. The, the museum was supposed to be the primary focus, but uh, as you can see through the window at the moment, it's full of townsfolk who just come out here to have coffee and cake uh, and catch up as a social social space, uh, which is really good. Um, we never really expected that to happen. We really just to be expected to be servicing uh, museum customers, but uh, yeah, the cafe has kind of taken on a life of its own and become a, a bit of a hub. Um, uh, which is, you know, really, really good. It brings people out to the airport, mm. exposes people to aviation that they might otherwise not get, uh, and it sort of brings the the airport into town, so to speak, um, which is, yeah. you know, really positive for us. So. Yeah, it gives people a bit of value for... It's not just this place where people go to play with expensive toys or anything. Yeah, correct. Um, uh, although it was, you know, Alan Arthur, you know, flew over to Kitty Hawk this morning just to get coffee and a bacon egg roll. Um, not everyone gets to do that, but uh, you know, as you know, as a you know, bit of a thrill for everyone that was in the cafe at the time, uh, and to have a, a Kitty Hawk, you know, fly over the top, park out the front, and um, and then depart again. So. Mm. I suspect it may have brought a few. Well, it definitely brought a few folks who are already out this way over to check out the aircraft. Yeah, no, and it generally happens. You know, whenever we get visiting aircraft like that, um, which happens re- reasonably regularly. Um, you know, it isn't far from town and, and generally, you know, if, if things are in the circuit or, or around the airport, people hear them uh, and, and come out to the airport to see what's going on. 
Now, looking inside the hangar, I can see your uh, your windshield and your bird dog, and on static, as the series is still static at the moment, isn't it? At the moment, yep. <clears throat> yeah, until um, Doug decides what he wants to do with it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, we're, we're still fortunate to have you know all of those aircraft in there. Um, you know, the series obviously a very uniquely Australian mm. aeroplane and, and very rare. Um, and you know, the the history between the series and the and the Wirraway here at Tokemalls, um, you know, very. Uh, very apt for our display mm. concept so um so that's pretty neat and um yeah i think since we last spoke um when we did the podcast we've uh, we've got our latest acquisition which mm. is uh um which is the mackie uh, yeah. that the air force gifted to us back in september um and that's uh, yeah that's been a great addition to the uh to the hangar and the display um uh, sort of as you know part of the recognition of the air force's you know 20 mm. year history here yeah and uh, you were saying that the front cockpit, it's uh, you know, like I'm 6'1", you're 6'3", and yeah, you can see why they had height restrictions back in the day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely an Italian aeroplane designed for Italians. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the front cockpit, um, the back cockpit, not so much because you don't have the canopy bow and stuff mm. in the way, but um, yeah, the front cockpit is very tight if you're a tall person, um, mm. both in terms of leg length and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, it's a very tight little cockpit. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the first time I, I'd never sat in one before until we got ours here and and, uh, yeah, the first time I sat in, it was kind of like, like, how would you get to everything? Um, you know, and I was just sitting there in shorts and a t-shirt. Like, imagine wearing a G suit and all the other yeah. cuff that you're wearing. Like, I don't know how you'd see half the switches um, or most of the stuff that you're looking at. Like, oh, I couldn't because my knees were covering it all. So, um, yeah, it, it would have been a very interesting thing to fl- have flown if you're a taller person. Well, having been in some old Italian sports cars, that uh, ticks all the boxes pretty much. Yeah, pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it goes says like old British stuff as well. Oh, it's, um, yeah. you know, you, you go from a Tiger Moss to a Stearman of the same era yeah. and a Stearman's, you know, kind of like a big Cadillac and, uh, and a Tiger Moss, much like the Mackie, is you know designed for small people. Yep. Um, and you know very tight cockpits. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's great to have that here. Um, you know, I, I grew up watching Mackies and parrots and windjills and stuff as a kid. So um, yeah, no, I was pretty excited when we got offered that opportunity to have one in our collection. Speaking of the parrot, the old CT4, are you going to try and get one of those for the collection? Um, maybe not the museum, just my personal one. Um, I do miss having one. Um, you know, we had ours for, for over 10 years and did a lot of flying in it and it, it introduced me into warbirds and, and air show flying and that type of thing. So it's, um, yeah, I, I do miss uh, the opportunity of, of having one. Um, I love the windshield um, and flying that uh, as well as all the other things I get to fly. Um, but the... Uh, yeah, the Parrot was just, it was a very simple aeroplane mm. to own and operate as a, as a, as a single person operating. Um, and uh, yeah, so I do miss them. I'm, I'm glad I get to still fly with them very regularly uh, <laughs> and get to have a go every now and then um, with a sympathetic owner. <laughs> Keeping your hand in, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So the, this is not the only building you're associated with on this aerodrome. You have your hangar where you uh, keep a whole lot of aircraft, I believe. What have you got in there? Uh, at the moment, not much at the moment. Um, uh, there's, so yeah, so we, we live on, uh, on the aerodrome as part of the air park that's here. Um, so we, we built our hangar here five years ago. Um, and yeah, so we've got, uh, at the moment, my bird dog's in there. The bird dog that's in the museum's a friend of ours. Um, and nothing else at the moment. Um, you must uh, be loving the space. It's kind of weird. Um, up until I was sort of, you know, coming up towards the end of last year, uh, we had a lot of air show activity down the south end of the world. And, um, you know, so we had... Um, uh, Paul Bennett's Avenger and we're away down here for a little time after we did shows down here so they were in my hangar um, You got the Avenger in there? Yeah, it fits in there quite well Oh wow, <coughs> yeah, it is a big hangar Yeah, well it's a, it's, it's a pretty big hangar um, Yeah, so we had that 
uh, the wind jill and the we were away in there at the same time, um, which took up a lot of room uh, and dropped a lot of oil. Um, and uh, yeah, and so once we sort of took those back home, uh, I swapped the wind jill around, put it in the museum, and the bird dog's in there at the moment all by himself. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it gives us a good opportunity to sort of clean things up, and mm. we do have. Um, Aircraft artifacts in our hangar, um, which we'll um, which will eventually work into the exhibits for the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're obviously sizable as well, so they take up a bit of room and, and take some time and space to to get organised to put on display. Yeah. So you've already mentioned the joy, the dream of having another parrot, uh, the old CT4. But any other aircraft that you're drooling over at the moment that you'd like to have in your hangar? Um. You know, money and time permitting, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pretty long list normally. It was, uh, well, I think, like everybody, when the uh, when the Powerball thing got up to two hundred million last week, we're all sitting around going, "All right, what would be on the yeah. shopping list?" And that, uh, that's the mistake: never do your shopping list until you've actually won. Yeah, no, and apparently you need to buy a ticket too if you want to win that. Sort oh, of thing. that so, one little uh, detail. Yeah, and Kaz did buy a ticket. We won forty-eight bucks, but I don't think that's yeah. going to go very far. Yeah. Yeah, that paid for dinner last night. That sounds um, about right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like everybody else in the country, seventy yeah, percent. Those two people. Or is it seventy percent of anything you put into the Australian lotteries? You could just burn yeah pretty much valid. um so uh yeah no i mean there's um uh you know there's all of the dream airplanes that we have um sort of growing up um as uh you know kids looking at world war ii stuff um you know kitty hawk spitfire mustang um you know it, it any of those would be you know great to have um uh Personally, you know, you know, like we saw with Alan this morning, the Kitty Hawk. You know, Kitty Ooh. Hawks have got um, operational training history here, um, and we're a type that was operated here out of here, so that'd be cool. Um, this was a, um, you know, a peak dumping ground for mm. relatively brand new Mustangs in the late '40s and early mm. '50s, uh, with 170 of them odd parked up in the paddock up here. Um, so, you know, things that have got some some historical relevance to here are, are of of interest to me. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, surprisingly, there wasn't much Spitfire recognition here. Like there was you know, some passing through. Um, the first aeroplane to crash here was a Spitfire, um, <laughs> uh, followed by a Tiger Moth the week after. Um, uh, but um, yeah, there's not much recorded history or um, photographic evidence of um, of mm. Spitfires being here, okay. um, other than you're yeah, travelling travelling through on their way to or from somewhere. Do you have any new types? Because uh, you're not currently type rated on a P40, P51 or anything like that. Are you trying to build towards that at the moment? Um, yeah, I mean, those sort of things, are, um, you, you don't get to have a plan for that. Mm. Um, as I've found so far, other people have a plan for that. Um, and, you know, so, you know, like flying uh, the Wirraway or the Avenger, um, it wasn't something that I aspired to um, necessarily or thought if I do these things, I'll get to have an opportunity to fly those things. Um, it was more, you know, the, the owners of those aircraft mm. <coughs> are the ones who make the decisions about mm. who fly them. Yeah, um, same with my aeroplanes. Yeah. Uh, mine aren't as valuable, but they are to me. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, not everyone just gets to fly them because they've got, you know, uh, you know the, the type ratings or, or yeah, the required endorsements or the hours yeah. or whatever. Um, it's a it's a package, and you know I guess I'm fortunate that um, you know in Paul's case, it, you know he he thinks that I'm competent and capable mm. of flying his aeroplane safely and, and bringing them back again. Um, and that's you know you can't you can't buy that or build it. No. <clears throat> um, it's just a, you know it's mostly a relationship thing. Um, you know what I love to have you know I fly some of those other aircraft absolutely. Mm. Um, but you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But there's there's no there's no expectation um, yeah. that I will. You know, if someone tapped me on the shoulder one day and say, hey, would you like to have a go at that? Mm. I'd be like, yes. 
Yeah. Um, what do I, ha- you know, what do I need to do to be able to make you feel confident that I can mm. do that uh, and bring your airplane back safely? Usually, uh, it's flying a Harvard from the back seat. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways around it. Um, you know, the Avengers are a unique airplane. There's not many of them in the world flying. Um, you know, you're flying your house with that. Effectively, yeah. Um, you know, whether what that translates to in terms of experience, I don't know, but because a lot of the other guys haven't flown them either. Um, but, you know, it's the biggest, heaviest Star Wars aeroplane kicking around. Um, and, um, you know, and it's got a, a lot of discipline involved flying it. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is the, the discipline and attitude of flying these aircraft is, um, and, and as an aircraft owner and understanding, you know, paying bills when things go wrong or if you stuff stuff up, um, the bills just get bigger yeah. with those aeroplanes. Oh, yeah. Um, and so the responsibility is greater um and so yeah so i think the the discipline of of you know that type of flying and doing those types of things um obviously carries through but yeah at the end of the day someone who owns one of those airplanes has to give you the opportunity and that's the only way these things happen Uh, unless you know unless you go to america and buy your way into Mm one um but i'm not a i'm not a fan of that way of doing things um i mean it's easy enough to do you just go over to america Get a Stallion 51, pay 25 grand, and you go and fly a Mustang. Um, yeah. or whatever. Uh, easy enough once you've got the money, but yeah. something, something lotto win. Yeah. yeah, so it's uh, you know, it's something that you can buy, yeah. um, whereas um, you know, the opportunities I've had so far you can't buy. Mm. Um, you really have to earn them um, and demonstrate that you're trustworthy and capable um, to, to other people. Um, and, yeah, so it's very personally rewarding to be considered mm. trustworthy and capable enough to be flying some of the aeroplanes that I'm flying now. So. Yeah, having spoken with Simo about flying the uh, Sabre, he said, imagine you've been handed a priceless, one-of-a-kind Ming vase, yeah. and now you've been told to juggle it in front of a whole lot of people, yeah. some of whom will come and hunt you down and kill you <laughs> if, if you break it. Yeah, it's, um, yeah and it's, it's kind of one of those things that you're conscious of but not conscious of. Mm. Um, like, obviously, you're not thinking about that while you're doing what you're doing, um, but the... Um, you know, while you're doing what you're doing, you're in your bubble and you're, mm. and you're doing your thing. Um, but the... You know that stuff's not lost on you um, of the the privilege that we have of flying these aircraft, and it absolutely is a privilege. Um, I was chatting to you know one of the young guys that flies with Haas at the moment, who's um, just got checked out on the the tracker and the Caribou, and um, and I said, you know, I, I can't imagine in twenty or thirty years' time that any of us will be doing this stuff, not because of our ages. I just think the environment will be much more difficult to do it in. It's getting um, harder. Yeah, you know, will we have Avgas in? Mm. as we know it today in 30 years' time? Um, will we have the opportunity to do what we're doing with these aircraft in 30 or 20 or 30 years' time? So I think, yeah, we're in a, a you know, in a kind of a unique time uh, in in history with um, with what we're getting to do at the moment. Um, and so we savour it while we've got it. And if it all stopped tomorrow, um, you know, I've had a pretty good time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was, it was <laughs> great. grateful for the opportunities. Yeah. So. yeah, it was great and something to tell the grandkids, but uh, long may it last. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it's um, And I think that's part of the, um, you know, that you know, doing that stuff is, uh, is being conscious of all of that, yeah. um, is that it is a point in time privilege to be doing this. Um, and, uh, and it's not for everyone. Yeah. Um, and, uh, as I said, you can't buy a ticket to do it. Um, and, um, it's just, uh, yeah, if, if you happen to be that person that's been fortunate enough to have a tap on the shoulder and say, Hey, would you like to have a fly at that? Um, then yeah, that's a, you know, very, pretty special thing. So. Well, Matt, this has been a really great chat. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the drone, the, the museum or Toke or anything like that? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, for us, it's the, the whole purpose of doing what we're doing here was to, um, 
uh, you know, to raise awareness of Tokemol's aviation history, uh, military history specifically, because that's my particular interest, but um, but just more broadly. Um, and, you know, as we've seen today, we've got a couple of aircraft here that have flown in just to have coffee and breakfast um, or just lunch. Just like we did. Just like yeah. you did. We've, um, we've done that, come up from Melbourne yeah. in a Cirrus. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, and that's that's uncommon there's not too many places you can do that sort of thing so uh, you know to be a, a destination location for you know um, road-based tourists uh, is a positive thing um, but also for aviation tourism uh, that's something that ourselves and the council are very strong with pushing um, knowing that that's a market that's not really tapped in Australia. Yeah. So. No it's it's I know, I know to make a make this you know no matter where we're going if we can we'll detour via toke and whether we're driving or whether we're um, flying if there's an opportunity we'll drop in. Yeah and that's you know a lot of people have said that it's like oh we're never going to fly past Tokemall again it's like excellent you know there's no landing really? fees no security uh, there's fuel available here um, you know big runways um, and um, you know instrument approaches if you need mm -hmm. to do practice instrument approaches um, so yeah so there's, there's lots of good reasons to come here uh, and we're not kind of too far from anything uh, mm. but we generally are on the way to most places yes so. And the food and the coffee. Oh, I can't talk about the coffee, but those who've had the coffee said it was great and the food is fantastic. Yeah, thank you. It's um, it's kind of one of the, the goals of ours as well was, you know, not to be a, a microwave pie and an aero club kind of thing. Um, yeah. You know, not dismissing that because it, it does take a lot of effort and resources to do what we're doing. Um, but it's good to be able to offer, you know, something more than that, um, mm. both to the aviation world, um, but also, as I said, you know, to, to guests at the museum. Yeah. And supporting the local community by hiring some of them to come and work here as we've I've been chatting to today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now we've got a good good team of staff that work for us. We've got um, uh, 13 staff that work for us, um, uh, plus a, a group of volunteers that look after the museum. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's been a, a positive thing overall. Well, Matt Henderson, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Well, there we go, Grant. And if people are interested in uh, heading up there to Tokenwall to have a bit of a look at the, uh, the, the uh, aerodrome and have a look at the uh, museum up there, you can check that out before you go at uh, tokenwallaviationmuseum.com.au and Grant will pop uh, a link to that in the show notes. I certainly will and highly recommend it. The museum's great. It's, uh, it's got a, some of Matt's aircraft plus some static displays and the, the drone cafe is fantastic. And yeah, absolutely highly recommended. You know, I, I got to I, I got to pull you up there, mate. Now I know this is an aviation show, and I know all of that. But um, you know, the critical question for the Drome Cafe is, how good is their coffee? Because you know, I'm an addict. I, I need good coffee. So I had a can of Coke, so I can't really say because I'm not a <laughs> coffee drinker. But Fail. but but I have it on good authority from Evan, from Al, and from a number of other folks who were there that um, it's pretty good coffee. Okay, all right, I'll take your word for it. Well, you know what, Grant? Uh, some guy that I'm sure is so busy he never has any time to drink coffee is this bloke. Here he comes. Steve? Steve? <laughs> yes, has, mate. Has he's your... upgraded. Yeah, he's upgraded. That that did not sound like a push bike. Yes, I think he's borrowed something from the Jetsons. You know, Grant, I should explain to people who were, you know, not from our generation, the Jetsons was this cartoon – Actually, a cartoon was no. Let's not go down that path, Grant. <laughs> okay, okay, you're going way too far down that. <laughs> the young folk can look that up somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look up the Jetsons cartoon, and be be prepared to be educated on what life was back in the 70s and 80s. Yes. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry now. I know. Oh God, I miss them. Anyhow. <laughs> anyway, Grant, uh, look at this. I have. Actual printed email here. Oh, so the guy's still using the Jetsons bike, but he uh, delivers paper. This is awesome. 
It's electronic paper, Grant. You should have seen how heavy it was to hook that uh, hook that laptop up and shake it. <laughs> Must be one of those new paper screens because, dang, it sounded rustly. Uh, our regular correspondent, Grant, Grant, is Mick, formerly of the Frankston line. Grant, he's been in contact with us both. Mick, I'm sorry I haven't replied to your two emails you've sent me recently, mate, but I do read them and they give me great entertainment, so uh, I really do appreciate it. But, Grant, uh, he's, had, he's also been in contact with your good self, uh, yes, and uh, we, we've been uh, emailing back and forth on a couple of things, but the cracker was that uh, he suggested that I should get you up in a hot air balloon just for the audio, and uh, his, his version of the audio was uh, was quite spectacular. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Probably this is a uh, you know PG-rated podcast. Yes, but uh, had, to, had to do with you clinging on and not opening your eyes and uh, generally being concerned. My, my response was that the audio would probably definitely not be PG mm, and would be just like when we go driving in your car normally. You know? Yeah, that is a good <laughs> indicator, actually. And I still need to get you in the RX7. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> but no, thanks, Mick. It's always great to hear from you, mate. Yeah, and uh, of course, contact at playingcrazydownunder.com if uh, anyone would like to get into contact. We always, uh, you know, just because Mick's filling up our inbox doesn't mean that you can't also. And we'd love to hear from our audience. And uh, as always, I always point this out. If you've got story ideas, you've been around your local aero club and you've found someone there and you think, gee whiz, they've got a great story, then uh, let us know about it because we'd love to get in contact and, and help them tell that story. That's uh, what we really enjoy doing here. And we know from uh, all these uh, decade and a half of experience now, Grant, we know that people like to hear those stories. So, uh, yeah, once again, uh, let us know, please. Contact at playingcrazydownunder.com. Now, Grant, a bit of a shout-out to uh, another good friend of the show and someone who's a really good bloke besides, uh, who's having a bit of a uh, – well, he's been quite public about it. That's Stefan Drury. He's uh, he's having a bit of a rough trot all of a sudden. He sure is, mate. Uh, as per a video he posted yesterday, our time, as we're recording this, uh, on his channel, Stefan is, uh, he's got a bit of a brain tumour happening and is going to be going through an operation and so on. So he has uh, grounded himself following consultation with the fine folks at Cass's Avmed Group. And yeah, so big shout outs to Stefan. And, uh, mate, all the best. And we'll be here making as much content as we can so that you have plenty to listen to pre- and post-operation. Um, hopefully, it doesn't make the conditions worse. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want to, uh, we don't want to um, you know, make things even even harder for Stefan than, uh, than uh, things are already going to be. And, uh, you know, going on a journey like this, uh, speaking of someone who's been on a, you know, a bit of a life-changing journey myself just recently – um, just just stick with it, mate. And uh, Stefan's just a really top bloke. And if you haven't checked out his channel for some reason, Stefan Drury, Grant, we'll pop a link to that in the yep. show notes too. He has made some just really engaging, really entertaining and really educational uh, video content. He's got heaps and heaps of videos, hundreds of them on his websites. And uh, even back in the pandemic time, I think back to when I first probably started watching him a lot, Grant, uh, flying his uh, Cirrus uh, in and out of Melbourne Airport when uh, that was actually quite possible to do because there weren't really a lot of commercial flights coming mm. in and out. And uh, that was actually really compelling video to watch. But he's done he's done heaps of stuff. He's travelled all over the world. He does great travel guides. And, you know, when we talk about people that have really embraced, you know, the concept of new media as it, I think it used to be called, but it's, mm. it's really just, <laughs> you know, modern media these days. Stefan's one of those guys who really creates some really wonderful content. So, uh and notwithstanding that, Grant, he also was gracious enough, probably without his knowledge, to let us hijack his aircraft for our comeback video. Yeah, there was that little photo that circulated of you and I with the keys and the aircraft behind us looking all very naughty. Yeah, I think we got all those scratches out, didn't we? Uh, well, they did buff out, mate. They did buff out, even yeah, from yeah. plastic. 
Yeah, well, I can't help it if there's no steam gauges in a Cirrus. I mean, crikey, I'm an old school Cessna guy. <laughs> yeah, well, I did note that you left smears of your fingerprints all over the glass, so hopefully you yeah, wasn't too What does this do? What does this do? What does I know, do? right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all the best, Stefan. Uh, yeah. yeah, cheers, mate. Yeah, Godspeed to you, mate. Um, good luck. You, you'll get through this, mate. You'll get through it. Oh, totally. Yep. Yep. Okay, that's everything we have for you on this week's edition of Playing Crazy Down Under. If you're heading up to uh, air shows down under Shell Harbour, please uh, drop us a line again, contact at playingcrazydownunder.com. Uh, we're uh, unable to go, as Grant mentioned, but we'd love to hear about your experiences up there. It really is one of the great Australian air shows, and uh, I'm really happy that uh, it's gone this way with the people from Avalon uh, taking it over and running it. I think that's going to ensure the longevity of that show for, for many, many years to come. Mm-hmm. So uh, please let us know. And, of course, Grant, the Tyab air show is coming up down here in Victoria, speaking of great little air shows, and uh, we're hoping to be there as well. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for us. We're only little guys after all. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, mate, I wouldn't call it a great little air show because it's getting bigger and bigger. It's absolutely epic these days. So, uh, yeah, very much looking forward to being at that. And uh, I've been in emails with Ryan Emerson. I hope I've pronounced your surname properly, Ryan. But, uh, yeah, if I haven't, that's another beer I owe you. Uh, We were hoping to catch up at Shell Harbour, but uh, it looks like the next opportunity to say hi to him and hopefully catch up with a lot of old friends and new friends will be at Tyab. And that, of course, is on the 10th of March. So if you're listening to this past then, well, expect to have some content coming out about it. If you're listening to it before then, and you can, come on down and look for Steve and I. We'll be wearing the PCDU shirts, I would imagine. We sure will be, yeah. I'm yeah. sure I can still fit into mine, maybe. Yeah, I, I can. I, hey, it's March on. Soldier on. It's March on, right? right? March, the month of March. So once again, in memory of my father and in recognition of my niece and the people I work with, I've joined the Soldier on March on Challenge and I'm not just doing the 96 kilometres in one month, which is for the, the length of the Kokoda Trail. Look that up if you want to know the history of that and why it's important. I've said I'm going to try and get twice the distance of the Kokoda Trail in the month of March. So if you're wondering why I'm not at work, why I'm not appearing on podcasts and doing other things, it's because I'm out walking. But yeah, Soldier on. I highly recommend the March on Challenge. Fantastic. Grant, you best pop a link to that in the show notes as well. Until we speak to you next time, folks, Steve Vischer on behalf of Grant McHeron, wishing you very safe flying, folks. Get out there and enjoy those air shows, and we'll talk to you again soon. Find show notes for this episode, along with our contact details and a full back catalogue of shows, at plainecrazydownunder.com. Drop us a line anytime with feedback, story suggestions, or advertising inquiries. We'd love to hear from you. Title music is You Name It by Brian Simpson. Playing Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies media production. Southern Skies Media.